Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I can't move on and want to move on so desperately. I mean, I'm soon be 75 and I just would love to have a few years of peace. Fifteen years ago, Daniel's mother Isabel was still holding on. Untold. The Daniel Morgan murder. I'm Peter Jukes and let's continue following the Morgan family through their epic struggle. If you think you know this story, you haven't heard anything yet. Thank you for joining us for episode 8. Remember where we left things last time. We just spent a whole episode in the offices of Southern Investigations, the private detective company taken over by the suspects in Daniel Morgan's murder. The reports of Derek Haslam and the bug placed in the offices was like a torch shone in a nasty and dark place. In that nine-month snapshot, we heard dozens of crimes involving private investigators, police, and the press. By the time the Morgan family got to hear of the third murder inquiry, it had already been prematurely curtailed. As Christine, Alistair Morgan's partner, and his sister Jane will explain. The anger that there was that they had blown the third investigation because what that investigation was in Two Bridges was the golden opportunity to catch the suspects with their own words. They told us that they'd been having this secret investigation into Daniel's murder, that they had been bugging the offices of Southern Investigations, but they, you know, they hadn't got anything about Danny's killing, but they'd got to end it because they had caught them fitting up this young wife as a drug dealer, not just a drug user, in order for her husband, Simon James, was a jeweller and he had paid John Rees to set his wife up as a drug dealer in order that she went to prison and then he would have custody of their son. And of course, because of disclosure for a trial, they were going to have to hand over the tapes to the defence and therefore, isn't it wonderful that we've managed to stop them sending this young woman to prison? Yes, that is fantastic. Thank heavens they haven't managed to ruin this young woman's life. However, deeply disappointed from our own perspective. Was this cock-up or conspiracy? Well, certainly Laurie Flynn, the investigative journalist, thinks this was an easy exit from the third murder inquiry 
and was not accidental. There were places back in 2000 the Met really didn't want to go. Supposedly, for the benefit of a murder inquiry that the family hadn't been told about, hadn't been renewed, turned into a prison sentence for this man, Jonathan Rees, over a completely unrelated corrupt matter. There's something wrong there, profoundly wrong. With Rees in prison, what happened to his business partner, the former detective sergeant Sid Fillery? At these meetings, they never mentioned Fillery. You know, they might mention Jonathan Rees, but never say anything about Sid Fillery. Who was running... Running, oh, well, he'd been sitting... He was Mm. taking over Danny's business sort of year and a half into it or something. So one of us would always mention Sid Fillery. You you couldn't stop yourself. Bob Quick was um, one of the first meetings I think I'd ever been to. I said, what are you doing about Fillery? Or when are you going to uh, investigate him? And, And he said... He was tapping his pen on the table up and down. And he said, um, oh, this is what we are still trying to figure out. What role Fillory possibly could have played in Daniel's murder? Hold on, how could they deny police corruption? Derek was still undercover, sending back reports. They had arrested a corrupt police officer over the coke fit-up. They must have known what was going on. Why didn't they want to look at Fillory? Was that a rock they didn't want to look under? And if the Hampshire report explained why not, why not share it with the family? Raju Bat, by now the Morgan's family lawyer, witnessed the confrontation with senior police officers on the sixth floor of Scotland Yard. What he was saying to the family was, as far as police involvement was concerned, in either the murder or what the family believed was attempts to protect those involved in the murder. His refrain was that that had been investigated by Hampshire police and there had been no evidence, no credible evidence of police involvement either in the murder or in any attempt to hinder attempts to detect the murder. Well, I thought, here I am on the top floor of Scotland Yard with its finest... And this man is telling me he's he's still trying to figure that out. And I just stood up and I said to him, I'm just a bloody telephonist and I figured that out within six weeks. And then I, I just left. Jane walked out at that point. I think she may have uttered a word or two as she did so. And I had to look after Isabel and Alistair who was still in the room so I couldn't follow her. And I had to be escorted down as though I was a terrorist myself, that I might stab somebody on the way down in the lift. And they walked me outside the building. And um, and I stood outside and I was reading something about the Met. And um, I just, I had an umbrella, it must have been winter and raining, and I, I just wanted to smash it. The framed sign of the Met mission statement that Jane felt like smashing reads courage, compassion, professionalism and integrity. The basis of the Met's intransigence about police corruption was the Hampshire report. But if that was so important, Alistair insisted on seeing it. It was Alistair and Isabel who, in response to Roy Clark constantly referring to this investigation as the, if you like, the certificate, they said, let's see the report of that investigation then. And then we entered into this dance of seven veils where Roy Clark after a few months after the request 
came back and said yes. I remember saying to Roy Clark, I want to see that report. You know, I felt he looked really uncomfortable, you know. I thought, right, and I said I was determined I was going to have that report. The dance of the Seven Veils continued. Roy Clark said the family could see the Hampshire report as long as they indemnified the constabulary against civil action, a ridiculous premise. Later, Roy Clark said, I'll read it all to you, but you can't take any notes. And this was an 83-page report. They were getting so close, but as bad luck would have it, there was a change of jobs, and Roy Clark was replaced as head of the Department of Professional Standards by Andy Heyman, and they were stymied again. By then, Roy Clark had been replaced by Andy Heyman, who then said he would need to review everything for himself, and he then said he wouldn't allow any access to the report at all. When the Morgan family threatened legal action to see the report, Deputy Assistant Commissioner Andy Heyman effectively threatened to keep them excluded from any further police investigations into Daniel's murder if they persisted. So, you know, we have this basically saying to the family, back off in your own interests if you want to see something constructive from us in relation to Daniel's case. Threatening the family. How does that fulfill the Met mission statement of courage, compassion, professionalism and integrity? But thanks to Raju and the judicial system, after years of legal wrangling, the Met conceded the Morgan family did have a right to see that clean bill of health, the Hampshire report. A judge ruled they had to hand it over in 14 days. But even then, the police were dragged kicking and screaming into disclosure. And we thought, oh, great, at last, at last, we're going to get it. Well, 14 days went by and they still hadn't handed over the report. Uh, you know, they couldn't even obey a court order. And I was absolutely furious with them. It was a Friday, I think a Friday afternoon. And they said some excuse about they'd forgotten or they'd missed the post or some, or they made some ridiculous excuse. And they did it deliberately, I'm sure. It was just spite because they didn't want to hand it over. And it was just spite. Oh, we'll make them wait another couple of days, you know. While they failed to properly investigate Daniel's murder, what happened to all those other crimes uncovered in Operation Nigeria? I mean, sudden investigations trade with corrupt police and the media selling confidential information, mainly for newspapers. Well, there was one arrest of Douglas Kempster from the Mirror Group. Remember, he'd been the one trying to find out information from a palace police officer. But when the police filed the charges with the Crown Prosecution Service, as TV reporter and journalist Paddy French explains, the state prosecutors weren't playing ball. I think the problem is that when it comes to trying to stop the business of journalists buying information, what the, the good guys in the Met, if I can call them that, what they found was that there wasn't any way to separate out the justified buying of information and the non-justified buying. There was just no way of dealing with it because they did try. They arrested um, Doug Kempster, and which is part of the Mirror Group. And then the thing about it is that when Doug Kempster was arrested, that sent shockwaves through the system, particularly in the Mirror. But when the CPS said, we're not going to charge him, everybody relaxed and thought, well, we're in business again, you know, back to normal. And what are Southern Investigation's main client? the news of the world. What happened to them? Well, a file was produced by Bob Quick, remember him? And he submitted 
a file detailing about 30 crimes involving journalists and had three names at the top of the list. At the very top, Alex Marinchak from News of the World, second place, Gary Jones, formerly of News of the World, and by then at the Mirror Group, and in third place, a journalist we can't mention for legal reasons. Well, what happened when this file was submitted by Quick to his then-boss, Andy Heyman? Absolutely nothing. Strangely, this is the precise moment that the News of the World, Britain's best-selling paper, appointed its youngest ever editor, Rebecca Brooks, then Wade. Just around the moment, Reese was convicted. Now, what happened to her senior executive, Alex Marinchak, who's named on Bob Quick's list? Nothing happened to him. And even stranger, he was called to a meeting with the new incoming police commissioner, John Stevens, now the head man at the Met, and Rebecca Brooks in March 2000, exactly around the time of Quick's report. Marinchak was not chastised. He was not demoted. In fact, he carried on as a senior executive of Rupert Murdoch's best-selling newspaper and would do so for many years to come. With Reese in prison and the news of the world lacking its number one corrupt detective agency, Brooks set about creating her own internal investigations unit. It would be run by Greg Miskew, the former news desk editor, who, for the next six years, would employ at some cost, about a million pounds, a private investigator and tracer called Glenn Mulcair. It's Glenn Mulcair's notebooks, which detailed thousands of phone-hacking victims, which would finally cause the paper to be closed by Rupert Murdoch in 2011. But that's a way later. First, Paddy French explains the role of Mulcair. The news of the world were ruthless in trying to control costs. They would pay for stories, but they were ruthless about trying to cut costs. So Mulcair was probably an attempt to rein back and keep control of you know, what was an escalating situation. Also, they thought that if they had somebody outside doing it, they had a get-out clause. They could say, look, it wasn't us, it was him. We thought he was doing it legally, but he, you know, he, was, he turned out to be a wronger and we, we knew nothing about it was a situation where the Murdoch press had lots and lots of money they could buy stories and it forced everybody else to find a way to compete and Southern Investigations provided the mirror via Gary Jones with a way of competing at not too much cost when phone hacking came along and you had a situation where the reporters on the mirror could do it themselves well they had a, a head start on everybody else and so they went to town on it Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As I noticed sitting through eight months of the phone hacking trial at the Old Bailey, the interception of voicemail in a way replaced the activities of sudden investigation. You could say phone hacking was the more benign face of the dark arts employed by Rupert Murdoch's best-selling newspaper. But we'll come back to this in podcast nine. So while the bad journalists seem to have got away with it, what happened to the good journalists? Well, freelancers Mike Gillard and Laurie Flynn were looking at the whole area of police corruption, particularly in southeast London over the murder of Stephen Lawrence, a black teenager stabbed by a racist gang with underworld connections. They soon found that Stephen Lawrence's murder linked back to various points of the network to the Daniel Morgan murder. But when they planned to publish something about this in The Guardian, they soon found their way blocked. In August 2000, Andy Heyman wrote to the editor of The Guardian, Alan Rusbridger. I'm aware of proposals by your freelance journalists connected to your newspaper, namely Mr. Gillard and Mr. Flynn, to publish an article about the work of the Metropolitan Police Anti-Corruption Squad, now Internal Investigations Command. We understand and support your need to report on the issues of public interest. I have concerns that, in their research, your journalists may be at risk, perhaps unwittingly, of assisting Rees in unethically or unlawfully seeking his acquittal to the serious charges he will be required to answer to trial at the Central Criminal Court. In hindsight, it's extraordinary. The news of the world appeared to be protected from police inquiries, while The Guardian were lent on heavily by the Met. Now, the deputy editor of The Guardian denies they were ever influenced by Heyman's letter, but Gillard and Flynn still felt blocked at the famous liberal newspaper and stopped writing for them. They compiled instead their classic book about police corruption of that era, Untouchables. While the senior ranks of the Met were doing all they could to block the Morgan family uncovering more, there were those in the more junior ranks who were keen to investigate further. In 2001, the Metropolitan Police launched the fourth Daniel Morgan murder inquiry, Operation Abelard. The covert side of the investigation was run by Detective Chief Superintendent David Zinzan, and the family noted an immediate sea change in regards to the amount of information they were told. From having to wait, we'd write a letter. It'd take three months to get a response, be that an MP or the police. Then it would be another three months or something till we got a meeting about what was in the letter. So that change from that type of response to now we're in the fourth investigation and David Zinzan is involved. There was much, much more openness. They would tell us in detail what they were planning. It was a complete sea change, really, from what we'd been used to before. They were saying to us the suspects were Jonathan Rees, Sid Fillory, the Vian brothers and Jimmy Cook. 
According to their intelligence, Jimmy Cook had been the getaway driver. For the first time in 15 years, the family weren't kept in the dark. The modus operandi for this fourth investigation was a bit like a more elaborate version of the third. This time, surveillance would be placed in the premises of most of the major suspects. And then, another big trigger event would be staged to see if any of them said anything incriminating. At this point, Reese was in prison, but the Vian brothers were targeted. Indeed, the Met went so far as to buy the house next door to Glen Vian because he went out so rarely. Jimmy Cook was also targeted, a character accused of placing drugs in the car for the fit-up of the wife in the custody dispute. He was also alleged to be the getaway car driver on the night of Daniel's murder in that darkened pub car park. But Jimmy Cook had a big house with a gravel drive, so the bugs were placed in his Mercedes. Fillory was very hard to target because of his counter-surveillance knowledge, so videos were placed around where he worked and lived. Right from the outset, it was explained to the Morgan family that a new BBC One crime watch appeal would be the trigger to see what the reaction was. So, while Dave Zinzan was running this covert side of Operation Abelard, a senior and respected detective, Detective Chief Superintendent Dave Cook, was to be the overt side, the public face for the Crime Watch appeal. He happened to be married to one of the presenters of Crime Watch, another police officer, Jackie Hames. Jackie Hames explains why working together was not that unusual. Well, he'd recently returned to the Met from being in Surrey, and I think he was sent to the murder command up in North London. So it was, I think, one of those situations where you quite often get asked to help out on other areas where you haven't actually established yourself in the role straight away. So when he was asked to step in and do the Crime Watch appeal, it wasn't something that I felt was unusual. He'd been on the programme whilst I was presenting before doing cases, so it wasn't an unusual uh, situation for us at all. It was a big difference. I mean, it took me a while, you know, I didn't trust policeman immediately but gradually I got to know him and and I got to like him and trust him. It did take a while because whereas David Zinzan was immediately somebody you could warm to and spoke human fluently. Book on the other hand you could have immediately disliked or felt difficult around. He was pretty brusque, he was not in the slightest bit touchy-feely, he was extremely direct and would say quite uncomfortable things but it was that fact the fact he would tell us difficult things that led you to trust him because he told you what he really thought he wasn't managing you no it was a genuine exchange of an opinion sometimes difficult opinion and that just grew and grew and that is why he's ended up being the most trusted officer you've ever met yeah yeah incredibly it took over a year for all the surveillance to be put in place But the family were constantly updated. And so, in the summer of 2002, they were ready to set the trigger, which was basically put information out in the public domain and see the suspects reacting to it, speculating who betrayed them and hopefully catching these panic reactions on tape. We had a meeting with Crime Watch this time, at which I... I told them about how unhappy I'd been about their first effort, you know. It was all about whether they'd got the probes in, whether everything was in place, because everything obviously had to be in place before they went live. And we understood that, but it just felt like it was never going to happen at times. Obviously, because it was a trigger, 
And that was the importance and why we were waiting so long that all the bugs, the probes had to be in place because they wanted to capture the conversation of the suspect's reaction to yet another climb watch, which they did. They were almost ready to go. But the day before Dave Cook appeared on Crime Watch, a police intercept caught Sidney Fillory calling Alex Marinchak at the News of the World, telling him Cook was the senior investigating officer in the new Daniel Morgan murder inquiry. They apparently discussed getting Cook sorted out. Cook wasn't told about this until after the program was aired. The watchers were being watched, and Dave Cook was unaware he was now a potential target. Crime Watch is remarkably successful with cold cases, inquiries that have avoided detection for years, or in this case, decades. In fact, this one goes back to 1987, but it was highly controversial from the start and has been ever since. The Metropolitan Police have got a reward of up to £50,000 for any person... Five zero, fifty thousand. Fifty. For any person who can give me information which would lead to the arrest and charge of those responsible. Fifteen years on, there's someone out there who has a relationship with someone in the past. Their allegiance has now changed. Come forward, give me the information that you've got that will allow me to solve this case. Having put the bait out of a £50,000 reward in the first half of the programme, in the second half, an update later that night, they pulled the trigger. That was 1987. The victim was Daniel Morgan, a private investigator. Superintendent Dave Cook, Chief Superintendent Dave Cook, opened this investigation again. And by gosh, after 15 years, tell us what you've got, a lot of it. Well, I'm very pleased with the response. We've had a number of calls in which the same person has actually been mentioned. And the good thing is some people have given us contact numbers for us to get back to them. So possibility of some witnesses there. You really can follow that. Now, tell me about, there was a, a car you wanted to trace, and apparently another car has come up. Well, yeah, we got a particularly good piece of information about the car that was possibly involved in this and what's happened to it, and it's put a big smile on my face. Well, I do remember David obviously going on to Crime Watch. I was there the same night. Um, didn't pay a lot of attention. He was talking about the case in sort of superficial terms, but it was obviously quite complex. The night or the day, I think it was shortly after the programme had gone out... I was out with the Crime Watch team at an event and the producer showed me an email that they'd received in the office where there was an allegation made that um, I was having an affair and we all had a good chuckle about it. But I was, whilst visually I had a chuckle about it, I was quite concerned because I didn't want people casting aspersions on my character or integrity. And I thought, why would somebody randomly say that? Um, and I was obviously concerned as well that uh, the BBC may think that I was up to something no good. Things were moving fast. As Greg Mishkew told me personally last year, the following week, Alex Marinchak approached him and asked him to authorise surveillance on Cook and Hames. Mishkew tells me he was told that they were having an affair, but Mishkew says he was suspicious. In the competitive ethos of the Sunday tabloid, it was very unlike Alex to give away a story to the news department, Miskew says. Miskew also says he wondered why Marinchak didn't use his team at Southern Investigations, as Miskew calls it. And then it dawned on him. Cook was leading the Morgan murder inquiry and the boss of Southern Investigations was the prime suspect. As he says, it would have looked bad if Southern were found to be watching Cook and Hames. 
But Miskew also tasks Mulcair, and I've spoken to Glenn Mulcair and seen his notes on Cook and Hames from the 14th of July. There is no allegation of an affair, no affair features, as Mulcair told me. Instead, it's mainly financial information, warrant numbers, police background, and including checks on bank and mortgages, which would have immediately revealed that Cook and Hames were married. I remember I was actually opening a new CCTV unit at a local hospital up in Chertsey. And I remember coming back and being met by two officers from the witness protection unit, completely a bit out of the blue, um, saying that they were concerned, they had, you know, there was intelligence, that there would be some sort of campaign of against us as a family. Um, and David started to explain it to me. And um, I think that was from that moment on, I was in hypervigilance, I suspect. Um, and that's when, you know, shortly after then, that's when we started seeing the white vans appearing. Dave Cook, who'd like to appear in this podcast and put his own point of view, but cannot for reasons we'll explain in the last episode, told the London programme in 2014 what happened when he saw one and then two white vans following his family. I thought, there's someone else out there now. I put the kids in the car and I drove out. Within seconds of pulling out, the car that was parked behind me down the lane pulled out and started to follow me. My children are in the car and I'm feeling very vulnerable. I remember seeing the white van in the car park of the park opposite. Wasn't really sure what to make of it because I hadn't, couldn't see anybody doing anything particularly other than having seen it. And then David said he'd been followed. I uh, was alone in the house at the time we had a driveway which directly went onto the road. There was no pavement. On the other side of the road, there was pavement and my kitchen window overlooked the driveway. And I was looked out of the kitchen window and saw across the other side of the road a white van with um, a couple of occupants and the window was open and something started sort of pointing towards the house. And um, I say, unfortunately, you do get into a state of a bit of hypervigilance. You are nervous about anything unusual that happens when you're in that um, under that sort of pressure it's very difficult to describe because your sensible head tells you that you know that nothing you know this is nothing horrible it's just uh, a normal event it's difficult to describe without um I had this thing about I couldn't go through my front door for for a while after Joel was shot I just I was having nightmares about people shooting the family and things. Well, just to explain a bit of background on this, Jackie Hames had worked for years on Crime Watch with a very popular presenter and BBC personality called Jill Dando. She was shot dead on her doorstep in 1999 in West London. That murder had never been solved, and in 2002, the repercussions were still echoing in Jackie's life. Yeah, I suppose it was the first time that um, my private life and my work life had come together in such an extraordinary way. Um, normally, I'd managed to keep them pretty separate and dealt with many um, serious assaults and murders over my career. But um, to actually know somebody who'd been murdered in such an appalling way was a huge wake-up call for me, yes. Bear in mind, at this point in 2002, all Jackie Hames knew about the white vans was that the threat to the family 
came from notorious murder suspects. I called into the Met. I said, this is what I found. This is the registration number. And within a short space of time, it came back that this van was leased to News International. When the counter-surveillance team stopped one of the vans following Cook to work in London, the man inside identified himself as a photographer for News of the World and said he was following up rumours of an affair between Cook and Hames. I was supposed to be having an affair with the woman on Crime Watch, the woman called Jackie Hames. I was living with her, I was married to her, she was the mother of my children. You've got two or more people from the news of the world keeping surveillance on my house, trying to track down me having an affair with my wife. Straight after Crime Watch, I was told that, you know, the news of the world were offering assistance to those suspected of the murder of Daniel Morgan. The phrase that was told to me was, they're looking to sort you out. They were trying to undermine me, undermine the investigation into the murder of Daniel Morgan. It's as simple as that. As a result of this surveillance by News of the World, the Abelard team re-examined the allegations that Daniel Morgan had planned to sell his story of police corruption to a Sunday paper. The Abelard team wrote to Andy Heyman at the DPS, urging an immediate investigation into the relationship between Alex Maranchak and Jonathan Rees. Cook re-interviewed Marjorie Williams, the bookkeeper, who'd started working for Southern Investigations immediately after the murder. Cook procured another statement from Brian Madigan, who remembered that Daniel was saying he was selling the story of police corruption to Alex Maranchak and News of the World. On Thursday the 9th of January 2003, armed with this evidence, Cook confronted Rupert Murdoch's protégé, Rebecca Books, at a meeting at News Scotland Yard. On a lift up to the sixth floor, he was told that Brooks was very close to the new commissioner, John Stevens. Cook took that as a warning. I had the meeting, that's a fact. I had the meeting to discuss this. She chose to do nothing about it. And of course, that was in 2002, and a lot's happened since then. So what did Rebecca Brooks do from this warning from a senior police officer that members of her staff at News the World were compromising a very important murder inquiry. Well, we know that the next day, on the 10th of January 2003, Brooks attended a meeting with managing editor of News of the World, Stuart Cutner. It's likely that Brooks's deputy, Andy Coulson, was also present. The meeting is recorded in Cutner's company notes, held in the News International archives and surrendered to the police during the phone hacking inquiry. But though these three executive officers of the company knew about Marinchak's involvement in subverting the fourth Morgan murder inquiry, they didn't sack Marinchak. In fact, Brooks herself was suddenly moved that weekend without warning to become editor of the Daily Sun newspaper, while Andy Coulson would take over at the helm of the News of the World. The Abelard team compiled their case based on previous evidence and suggestions from the intercepts from the Vians and Jimmy Cook that they were implicated in the murder of Daniel Morgan. They submitted their files to the Crown Prosecution Service, with a recommendation that all five should be arrested and prosecuted. But the CPS did not agree. I think Dave Cook rang me and said, look, they've decided that they're not, there's insufficient evidence, they're not going to prosecute. Dave said that he'd argued with them about it and, you know, said that he thought there was enough evidence, and, but he said they, they won't be moved. It was Isabel and me with David Zinzan and David Cook. 
offices of the Metropolitan Police Authority. And for the first time, I mean, both of them confirmed that the decision not to prosecute was not something they agreed with. Uh, but for the first time, these two senior officers confirmed to the family that, yes, Sid Fillery was at the heart of the police corruption around this murder. And, just as significantly, and I remember these words, that he, Fillery, had been protected over the years by others higher up. Oh, I do remember that. He said to me one day, he said, sometimes he said, I feel that we're only scratching the surface of the corruption here, you know. I know that he was terribly disappointed about it. You know, he and David Zinzana put a lot of effort and time and... And I mean, if you're doing a job, if you're a murder detective, you want to catch the killer, don't you? You know, or anybody would. But uh, he was terribly disappointed and... As were the whole team. It was more than disappointment, I think. I think they were angry. But Dave Cook, the only cop the Morgan family ever really trusted, was not going to give up that easily. David was, is and was a very tenacious investigator. He... It could be incredibly single-minded um, and determined when he was involved in an investigation. I had every confidence that uh, once he got his teeth into a case, it, there was very little anyone could do to make him let it go. So I wasn't surprised that he continued and kept on beavering away on that case. And so, having found in their 20-year struggle for justice each other, occasional friends in the world of journalism and legal practice, Alastair and Christine and Jane and Isabel finally had a top detective on their side. And with this, we set the stage for the fifth and final Daniel Morgan murder investigation, Abelard 2. Listen in next week. You won't believe it. Episode 8 was produced by Peter Dukes and Devia Mir. Music by Shemaili Mir. A Flameflower Duende production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.